Um, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about knowing our enemy. Um, because here's one of the, the, the things that I really do think that we, we struggle with as a church and as believers in the world today, that we forget that we are in a battle. Now, you say, well, I know I'm in, I'm in a battle, but I'm not talking about the battle of your own personal circumstances because we get caught up in that. But we're in a war. It's a war between God and the great enemy. It is a war that has raged from the beginning of human history. And it's a war that will rage until the end of human history, when time is done away with and we enter the eternal state. But, you know, for us as a church today, we're in a battle. And we've looked at this previously, you know, in Matthew 16, I think it is, when the Lord talks about, you know, his church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It means that the gates of hell will try, that it is a battle that we're involved in. And we, we forget that. We forget that in many aspects. You know, we don't walk out there and, and you know, go about to do our shopping and think that we're in a war field. It just, it just escapes our minds. But that's the reality of it. As a believer, saved by grace, with the Spirit of God living within you, you are at polar opposites. You are facing down an enemy that wants to destroy you, to take you down, to take you away from the work, because when you're involved in the work, you're on the front line for the army of God, if you want to use that term. Um, and I don't use that loosely, I use that reverently. And we're in a battle. We're, we're absolutely in a battle. There's no doubt about that. But one of the big problems today is the discernment that we have as Christians to know our enemy. Now, for those of you that have been in the armed forces, you know, you, any, any military force that goes into war, what they want to do is they want to know everything about their enemy. They want to know their enemy's tactics. They want to know how their enemy operates. How he functions, how he fights, what his characteristics are, what his tendencies are, the way he the way he conducts himself, everything about him. You know, there's departments and departments within the armed forces that that's their job. That's their job, and the reason they want to know is because they know if they're going into war, it's war, and the rules of engagement are clear, and they have to know their enemy if they're going to have a chance of defeating their enemy. It gives them the best uh, way of defeating their enemy. Now, the other side of that is they do their research on their enemy, but then they have to train their forces. And each and every soldier needs to know the weapon of his warfare. They need to know how to handle the, the, the ammunitions and the, and the military equipment that they have. Otherwise, they're not going to be any good in the battle. They may know how the enemy works, but they don't know how their own equipment works. And they're not going to be very good in the, in the battle. For believers, it's no different. We have to know our enemy. Absolutely, we have to know our enemy. But we also, also absolutely have to know the weapons of our warfare, which are not fleshly ones, they're spiritual ones. We have to learn how to handle the sword, to learn the word of God, and to be able to, to fight the battle. Because when you see the Lord Jesus Christ as he walked on the earth, and when he was confronted with the enemy, you will see he went straight to the sword, the word of God. And Jesus was an expert handler of the sword. But if you think about uh, you know, military application. You know, nobody gets conscripted and then puts a gun in their hand unless it's really dire emergencies. You get trained to use that weapon. 
So we've got to learn the weapons of our warfare. That's one part of it. But the second part of it is we have to know our enemy. We have to learn to discern how our enemy operates. And here's the thing. We don't. A lot of us don't have a clue about how our enemy works. You know, I reckon you know, if I took a survey across, not our church particularly, but just across Christendom and asked people, you know, what's the devil like? What does he look like? Or, you know, what's his characteristics? The, the answers you would get would be more akin to what Hollywood presents the devil as as to what scripture does. You know, big red horn, evil, wicked looking thing. That's not Satan. Lucifer, as described in the Bible. He was the anointed cherub. He was the chief cherub. He was majestic. He was beautiful. And we, 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 we've got this Hollywood notion of who he is. We've also got this notion where we've, uh, we've laid upon him deity. He's not a God. He's a created being. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He influenced you. And it was your choice. No, the devil's everywhere. No, he's not. He's a created being. He can only be in one place at one time. He's a powerful being. Let's get him right. Give him his dues. We're not to trifle with him. But he's not God. He's not omnipotent. He's not all powerful. He's not all present. He's not all knowing. He's a created being, yet a very powerful one. So we know about him, but more so we have to be aware of his tactics because, you know, if nothing else, the devil and his armies are consistent because the tactics work. The tactics work. And whenever the work of God is being done, and this is what we're going to see in Ezra chapter number 4, remember the work is beginning again after that lull. We've seen that last week. The local assembly are gathered And as they begin the work, the opposition comes. Because that's what happens. That's what happens. Why does that happen? Because it's a war. It's a war. And when we do a work for God, we are actively engaged in that war. We are taking the warfare to the enemy by doing God's work in this world. And then it faces opposition. That's just the way of it. And actually, when opposition comes, it should be a reassurance that as a church or as an individual, you're doing what God wants you to do. If it just goes all easy and it, and it falls like dominoes all your Christian life, I've got to say there's, you know, there's something maybe not right in what you're doing. Maybe it's not God's will, maybe it's your will. That doesn't mean that God won't equip you and enable you to do what you need to do. Of course he will. But the enemy's not going to sit there you know, I absolutely believe this with all my heart that, that, that hell's gates shake when a, when a lost sinner gets saved. But the, the tremors and the earthquakes that are felt whenever that saved one becomes a serving one. Because when you're saved, the devil can't do anything about that. It's done, finished, full, final. It can never be taken away. He can't change that. He can't take you back into darkness from light. You've been translated, changed, 
But what he can do is do everything he can to stop you going on and serving the Lord Jesus and being who you should be in him. And he will do everything he can to stop that. And those attacks come in all forms and all shapes. And that happens at individual level and that happens at corporate level too. The body of Christ will feel that as we start to do what God wants us to do. So in Ezra chapter number 4, as we pick up again, the, the people are back at the work. And as they get back to the work, no sooner has the work begun again that the enemy is out and in action to try and get involved and use the tactics of his warfare to wreck the work of God. So what we want to do this morning is just have a look at three of these tactics. Now there are many more, but we want to have a look at three and only three. So let's firstly have a look at tactic number one. And that's infiltration. Infiltration. Look at verses one and two of Ezra chapter number four. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God, as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Azarhaddon, the king of Assur, which has brought us up hither. So now we're introduced to this group of people that we, we have met before. And notice how they're introduced in the word of God. In the very first verse there, Ezra chapter 4, it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard. They're introduced as adversaries. Now the word in Hebrew means enemies. Let's just make it clear. So I want to paraphrase it. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard. These aren't friends, they're foes. And we've met them already. If you, I don't know if you remember that I did say that um, when we first encountered them in Ezra chapter number 3. Let's have a look there. Ezra 3, 3. I said that we would come back to the, this group. Um, Ezra chapter 3, verse 3. says, And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord. So it says that fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. This is the people of those countries in Ezra chapter number 4 again. Um, the origin of these enemies or these adversaries dates back to when the northern kingdom of Israel was taken captivity into Assyria. If you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter number 17, 2 Kings 17 verse 6. Two Kings, chapter 17, verse 6, says, In the ninth year of Isaiah, the king of Assyria took Samaria, carried Israel away into Assyria, and placed them in Halal, Hala, and Hebor by the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And then read down a little bit later on, verse 24, a later king comes along and uh, populates the Samarian people with people, or Samaria, with people from Assyria and Babylon. So verse 24, it says, The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, from Kutha, from Ava, from Hamath, from Seraphim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. So this is, these are the adversaries. These are the people of these countries. They're not Jews. 
and they've been placed there as part of this repopulation uh, by uh, the uh, Assyrians. And, and notice then, so they're introduced as adversaries, as enemies. But notice what they say in verse 2. It says, They came to Zerubbabel, this is Ezra 4, They came to Zerubbabel, the chief of the fathers, said unto them, Let us build with you. So they, they get news that the temple project is, is started again, that the building started again. And they come along and they say, Let us help. Let us help. Now, at face value, well, what's the problem? There's work to be done. There's a temple to be built. Why not? What's the saying? Many hands makes light work, right? The more the merrier. Let's get involved in the work. But, but let's be clear. The designation that God's word gives these people is adversaries, enemies, foes, not friends. And what we're being introduced to here is Satan's number one tactic, infiltration infiltration you know the early church it was persecution wasn't it but that persecution just uh, made the church flourish and actually that's what happens because you think why does that happen why when why when persecution comes does the church flourish because what happens is there's a separating of the chaff and the wheat and 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 you know I, not, not to ruffle any feathers, but there may be somebody sitting in here this morning that doesn't know the Lord is Savior. But if that's the case, I'm not saying it is, so, but if that is the case, and we were meeting here under fear of death, those people would very quickly be weeded out. And what you're left with is the pure body of Christ. And when the body of Christ is pure, it's powerful. It's powerful. So persecution didn't do it. So the enemy changed his tactic to infiltration. And infiltration has had far more success than persecution ever did. Ever did. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 13 and 14. Let me read it. You know these verses. For such are false apostles. This is the early church. You know, this is going on right back. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. This is infiltration. This is an enemy tactic. This is a warfare tactic today. You know, it's raging at the minute. If you look at the news and what's going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine, and, you know, there's reports coming out about the influence that Russia has within uh, this country with the money they have in and people in high places. It, it, it's, it's a weapon of warfare. And why do people do it? Because it works. It works. It's very successful. And Satan gets about it. And these people here, they come along and they say, you know, let us help. Let us help. But they're enemies. They're foes. They say, come along, you know, let, let, let's all get involved in this together. Let us build with you. And notice what they say in verse 2 after that. This little caveat. For we seek your God. So notice how they claim commonality. We seek your God. As ye do. And we sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezrahadon, king of Azur, which brings us up hither. So, you know, they're saying, you know, we, 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 we pray to your God too. 
We, we recognize your God too. Let us come along. Let us build together. You know, and that's the cry today of those that want to infiltrate the church. The coexist movement. You know, you'll see these bumper stickers. I'm sure you've seen them with all the great religions of the world spelling out coexist. You know, we, we know that your God exists. But those people, they serve their own gods. That's what scripture tells us. And the goal here, we have to understand, was indeed infiltration. It was never about helping them build that temple. It was about getting involved to wreck that work. They were enemies. And the enemy's number one tactic is infiltration. It happens today, it happens then, and it will continue to happen until the Lord comes again. Why? Because it's a tactic that works so well. So if the first tactic is indeed infiltration, uh, I want to lead us then to the second tactic of our enemy's warfare in verses 3 and 4 of Ezra 4, which is intimidation. Verse 3, But Zerubbabel and Shua, the rest of the chiefs of the fathers of Israel, said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us, to build a house unto our God. I love that. I love it. The old fighting fundamentalist in me loves that. I love it. Because that's the correct response. These were enemies. And there's a clear response from the leadership representing the people. And they say, you have nothing to do with us. And you will not help us. Build the temple of our God. Our God. So the leadership is clear. They're absolutely from the start. This is not going to happen. You're not getting in. There's no way we're going to allow you to infiltrate and be involved in this. And this is strong leadership. It's strong leadership. Then, you know, you might say, well, that's not very nice. That's not very godly. But that's strong leadership. That's shepherding a flock. And there are times when the pastor and the leadership of churches have to make difficult decisions to protect the flock from the wolves that will come in and want to come in and will want to infiltrate. And at times people will say, well, that doesn't seem very Christ-like and very godly. Shouldn't we welcome everybody in with open arms no matter what? Absolutely not. The church of God and the body of Christ needs to be protected from the enemies of God. Because they want to come in and they want to infiltrate. And, and, and the leadership's very clear here. They say, no, no way. One commentator says, if they'd have acquiesced at this point, the work would have been ruined. So they said, absolutely not. You know, they give the correct response. They say, no, uh, we don't need you to do this. We're going to do this work. How do the enemies and adversaries respond? Well, they reveal themselves, don't they? Clearly as enemies. Look at verse 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So they're told no. They can't get in by means of infiltration. So now they begin to intimidate. The work is continuing, but now... And their true agenda is really revealed, right? 
If they were earnest and open and honest about wanting to build a temple, if they'd been told no, they'd say, well, that's fine. We respect that. It's your God, your temple. Go about your business and we'll you know, support you as we can from the sidelines, whatever it may be. But they don't. Tactic number one is finished. Tactic number two begins. When you have a church with strong leadership that keeps wolves out, the wolves from the outside will do all that they can to disrupt the work inside. If they can't disrupt it from the inside out, they will disrupt it from the outside. That is an enemy, uh, a weapon of the enemy's warfare. And it happens and it continues to happen and it's used mightily by our enemy. There's no doubt about it. That word weakened there in Ezra chapter number 4 says the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah. It means to um, discourage, to dishearten. And it says, and trouble them in building. That means to frighten, to make them fearful. They're trying to disrupt the work. And they do that by means of intimidation. The enemy went on attack using fear, using discouragement. Does that not happen today? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. You want to get out and do the work of the Lord? But, 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 you know... Society doesn't, doesn't like it. If I go out and I preach the gospel and work, or if I share, you know, I'm going to lose my job. Or, you know, if we go out and we, we do street preaching, you know, we're going to get arrested. Our message isn't for today. It's dated. It's antiquated. It's old. It's all fear. It's all intimidation. To try and stop what? To stop the work of God. That was the second tactic that was used by the enemy. Infiltration didn't work. Intimidation began. And then there's a final tactic in verse 5, and that's irritation. Look at verse 5, Ezra 4. It says, They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even unto the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they hired people to frustrate their purpose. And, and, and you know, this is, a, this is, we're in a war, I've said this, but it's a war of attrition, right? And, and we can't get frustrated when it just, it doesn't stop, right? It just doesn't stop. It's like the world will not give the church a break. On and on and on it goes. You know, we, we, we stand, and you know, in this church, we stand upon marriage as, as between one man and one woman for life under God as biblically given. And when you stand upon that biblical principle and you look in the world today, it's just like non-stop to try and take that down. It's just they do not give up. They will not give in. You look at Northern Ireland and they've been pushing this and pushing this and pushing this. And they, they kept getting knocked down in, in the voting system. They just came back again and came back again and came back and began until finally they got it passed through. Same with the abortion things that are going on. They just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And it seems like the enemy just is on and on and on as we sit there under this deluge of attack. We start to get frustrated and irritated. Say, this is just enough now. I've had it. I'm done. I'm beat. I give up. I give up. 
that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to give up. He wants us to get frustrated. He wants us to just say, you know what, it's too hard of a fight. It's too hard of a battle. This enemy is just non-stop. And it is growing. There's no doubt about it. And it will grow. And it will get harder. And it will get tougher. And the attacks will get more widespread. And they'll come from all angles. And you'll just, on a daily basis, you will be fighting for your faith. And for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's coming. It's coming. And our enemy doesn't fight fair. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't say, do you know what? Have a break. Now, I like boxing. Claire likes boxing me, but she doesn't like watching boxing. But, you know, I was watching that last night, and, uh, you know, they, they, they fight, but there's a break. You know? They have a little rest. And, you know, there was one point where one of, one of the fighters, you know, he was, he was down and out, really, if the bell hadn't rung and he got that little rest. But that's done in an organized way the fight we're in there's no bell there's no rest the enemy will use that opportunity to attack you more not say do you know what have a little break that's how our enemy works because he wants to get you in the place where you're frustrated he wants to get you in the place where you're ready to give up he wants you to get you in a place where you just think I can't fight this fight anymore they've worn me down they've won that's what the enemy wants to do. And when we give in to this, we're giving in to the enemy's tactics. But if you can know the weapons of our enemy's warfare, if you can know that's what he wants, and if you can know that's what he has designed, the world that we live in and the pressure that he puts on to do, it's to take you out of the battle. You're a chess piece on the battlefield and he wants to take you out. And if he can frustrate you, and if he can get you down, and if he can get you depressed, if he can get you doubting even the purposes of God in your life, if he can get you doubting the will of God in your life, he'll have you in the place that he wants you to be. Frustrated. Like, this is enough. I'm worn down now. That's where the enemy wants us. And this enemy doesn't stop. So we've just looked briefly this morning at three, three aspects of our enemy's warfare. We've looked at infiltration, which continues to this day and is used and wielded well by the enemy to stop the work and disrupt the work from the inside out. You know, how many great works of God have been destroyed by wolves coming in and shutting the doors down? You know, it would be an astronomical number. How many churches do you know in this city that you can look back on? They're no longer there now. Um, you know, because you've heard horror stories where people have come in professing to be Christians, professing to be of the Lord, but yet have revealed themselves as workers of iniquity. And the work has been destroyed, it's been uh, ruined. It happens. Infiltration, and we need to guard against it. We do. Infiltration doesn't work. Intimidation comes. That's to destroy the work from the outside in. To put the pressure on. To put people in a place of fear. Where they're afraid to speak up for Christ. Where they're afraid to share their faith. 
We've looked at that in, in Romans on Wednesday night, didn't we? You know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And we, we, we talked about it together and we, we asked the question, when have we been ashamed of the gospel? And, you know, we, 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 we demarked that from being ashamed of Christ, but to be ashamed of the gospel, to be able to speak up. And, and, and the kind of conclusion was, it would have been easier for us to name the times that we weren't than the times that we were. Because there were so many. But we're not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're not to be intimidated. It's the power of God on the salvation. The word of God is more powerful than a two-edged sword. The word of God was used by our Lord and our Savior to dispatch the devil. That's the word of God that we use today. Infiltration, intimidation, and Irritation to destroy the will of the workers. And if the enemy can destroy the will of the workers, the work falls away. All of these things are designed to stop us doing what God would have us to do. All of these things are designed to take us away from God's purposes for our lives and for this church. So we think about this church today. We think about uh, what we want to do in the year ahead. How we want to take the gospel to the community. How we want to honor and glorify Christ. How we want to grow in the faith together. And they are all absolutely honorable things before the Lord. But mark it down. When we determine to do that as a church and as a body... We will come under attack. And this is not me going, you know, crazy charismatic. This is the truth. We are in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. And it is a battle. And do not think for one minute that you have a pass or a freebie to step off the battlefield, to sit on the fence, because there is no fence. There's no fence. And the enemy will do all that he can, all that he can to stop you in your tracks and to stop us as a church. So what do we do? How do we fight it? How do we go on under this you know, attack of infiltration, under this attack of intimidation, under this attack of irritation? How do we go on? How do we fight the battle? Well, firstly, we rest in him. Absolutely. But also, we have to mature in our faith. We have to get better soldiers. We have to learn to fight better, to grow in our faith. Now, how do we do that? Number one, we get involved in the local church. Be around the people of God. That's how we grow. But secondly, we've got to mature in the word of God. We've got to learn to discern. We've got to move from the milk to the meat of the word. We have to grow in the word of God to be able to fight the enemy. And when we do that, when we mature in the faith, when we go to the word of God, when we grow together, we will absolutely be better fighters. We'll be better soldiers. We'll be better equipped to fight the battle that faces us each and every day as the children of God. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Brethren, let's not be ignorant 
of the enemy's tactics. Let's know that he will try and infiltrate this church. Let's know that he will try and intimidate this church. And know that he will try and irritate this church. All designed to get us away from the work of God. But if we know that, when it comes, and it will come, we can hold our hands up high and we can say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, that we are worthy to suffer persecution for his name. Because when these tactics come, we know that we're doing something right. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time in your word this morning. Lord, we have to be mindful, ever mindful of our enemy and the weapons of his warfare. Lord, help us to see that we are in a battle. It is a war of attrition. Our enemy doesn't fight fair, that we face these things each and every day. But Lord, will you help us? Lord, will you fill us uh, with your spirit? Let us be strong in you. Help us to walk in you, Lord, and to be a people of the book, a people of prayer, a people of service. And Lord, help us to grow together uh, as your local church. And Lord, we do face uh, battles. There are things that are raging even within the congregation and, and, and even from outside, Lord, as we uh, continue on in this year. And we do ask for your hedge of protection around us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, you would keep us, you would keep us safe from the enemy. And Lord, will you help us to just remember that we are indeed yours and that you will never let us go. You'll never forsake us. You'll never leave us. And even in the midst of the greatest battles, you're there with us, hand in hand. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, help us as a church to learn to discern the weapons of our enemy's warfare, that we may not be discouraged or disheartened, that we may fight the good fight until you return. In Jesus' name.